we're so stuck in government has this thing. They're going to put it out to an RP and they're going to solve this thing. We need to get to the point where the conversation is more of, you know, we both have a problem. Come together. Let's solve it. Let's not think of it as I'm a customer. I'm hiring a vendor to solve the problem. I mean, I get that in some cases, but in some other cases, like this whole tunnel thing that Dan is actually a good, it's a good one. Uh, it's a good public-private partnership that's solving a common problem in, in two different perspectives, a state perspective and a private sector se- uh, perspective. Welcome to the 5G Guys podcast, the premier resource for industry insiders and newcomers alike to explore anything and everything wireless telecommunication. We discuss, explain, and explore all things wireless technology. So let's dive right in. Welcome your host, Dan McVaugh and Wayne Smith. Hey, real quick, a quick word of thanks to today's sponsor, Vertex Innovations, before we get started. For over 17 years, Vertex has been building the nation's wireless and broadband networks. Providing project management, network engineering, and construction oversight are just some of the ways Vertex helps their clients. So if you're looking for more of a partner to help you with your wireless network designs, construction, implementation, or operations, reach out to Vertex. You can find them at vertex-us.com. That's V-E-R-T-E-X-U-S.com. Welcome back for another episode of the 5G Guys. I'm Wayne Smith and joined by my co-host, Dan McVall. Hey, everyone. Welcome back again, and thanks for listening. If you haven't already, please subscribe and follow the show and go to 5gguys.com to follow up and engage more with us. Uh, We're excited today to have Bob Pfeiffer as our guest. Bob um, has over 27 years of leadership uh, within the telecommunications, IT, and transportation industries, and he focuses on the convergence of transportation and technology. His passion is to, to work on rural broadband and make it accessible and affordable for everyone. Today, Bob serves as the leadership uh, team role with the uh, Colorado Department of Transportation. He leads the Intelligent Transportation and Network Services Division. In addition to that role today, he's also been elected three times since 2011 to serve as the Arvada City Council Member at large. So he has some good in- insight into that side of how telecom gets deployed. And he's also had the honor to be appointed to several committees, including the FCC Intergovernmental Advisory Committee, Chair of the State of Colorado Broadband Advisory Board, and he's the past chair of the Denver Regional Council of Government. So, Bob, thanks for joining us. I think your unique perspective of having a foot planted in you know, all of these different areas of telecom and wireless and the, the public uh, utility space with uh, CDOT gives you a good, uh, good perspective. So we're excited to have you on and, and get your perspective on uh, wireless technology and transportation. Yeah, thank you, Dan and Wayne, for having me tonight or today. Depends, I guess, where you are in the world. So I appreciate being here and sharing a little bit of what we do. You bet. So I don't know, maybe just let's start off, like, give me your take on, you know, what's the last five years look like in terms of how we are, how we're looking with the convergence of telecom and wireless and transportation. You know, how's it all kind of looking? How's it, how are things changed in the last few years and, and how have they converged? Well, you know, let me give you a little backdrop before we get into there of, it was one of the big reasons why I came to uh, the Colorado Department of Transportation was, I worked in the industry for years and years and years, and what attracted me to this opportunity at the Colorado Department of Transportation was the fact you did see convergence between telecommunications, IT work, and transportation all converging. And I always thought it was fascinating that, you know, industries coming together like that when typically have been more siloed. And 
And coming mostly from the telecommunication side of the industry, I don't know if we appreciate it as much as we could have uh, the use cases in which people use telecommunication for communications and for solving today's problems. And so when the opportunity came up here at Colorado Department of Transportation, I'm going to nickname it CDOT, came at CDOT, I, I jumped right on it. In fact, my wife helped me negotiate my pay cut to come out of private sector into public sector and uh, okayed me to come and play in this world because it wasn't necessarily the money. It was just a fascinating part of being part of some future of where we could go. And I felt that I can add a lot of value and a lot of um, insights and bringing folks together on this topic around technology, communications, and even transportation on the same same topic. So when you talk about convergence, the last five years, especially around DOTs and, and transportation organizations, it's been interesting because typically we're a civil engineering organization. We build roads, we build infrastructure. Uh, now what you're starting to see is fiber optics has now become a form of infrastructure. It's a new form of of highways, information highways, in which we operate our our actual physical infrastructure with. So um, when you talk about the convergence, we're talking about the ability to, you know, when I reflect on this, I'm going to digress just for a minute here. When When I look back and think about how communication works, when you talk about packets and you talk about envelopes and you talk about how communication starts at, at A location and ends at a Z location, highways work the same way. When you drive on a highway system, you get on an on-ramp, you get in with a bunch of cars, which could be packets and envelopes, and then you exit and you go to your destination. Communications operates the same way. And so it's kind of neat to see a physical world versus a virtual world technically doing the same exact thing. And so when you can have somebody envision and see how that works, it's, it, it, it fascinated me. But when we talk about how highways and Department of Transportation needs technology and communications to, to, to operate their highways, it's not as easy as it was in the past. Now we have to have cameras. We have to detect avalanches. We've got to detect mudslides, fires, accidents, um, traffic uh, slowing down, all sorts of other things that are happening on our highway system and that ecosystem that has to leverage technology to detect and react. It doesn't. The technology does not work on its own. Cameras do not work by themselves. You have to either hook them to fiber or you have to hook them to wireless communication to make sure that we have that situational awareness to safely operate our highway system. And that's where you start seeing the convergence coming uh, together. And so I'll, I'll pause there. I know I said a whole bunch of things, but that, that's that's what excited me. And that's why I see that the convergence is coming together. And it, we're relying on communication more and more and more. It, it's, it's not like back in the day with, with transportation where we just, you know, get in the car and, and or the truck and do snow plowing or go repair a pothole or go fix some asphalt. It's now about how do we safely move people through the interstates and the highways by leveraging technology, which in, in return requires communications to that technology. Hey, it's funny you talk about that analogy. Way and I actually, in a previous episode, one of our Cellular 101 episodes, we actually use cars and roads as our analogy to explain mm. how wireless technology works. So it's kind of funny that you bring that up. And uh, so if, if, if listeners haven't checked that out, check out one of our first episodes on that. And uh, it is a great analogy. Um, you know, the way Spectrum can add capacity and different cars have different cap- capabilities, like your packets, mm. um, very, very similar. So 
So, so tell us a little bit more about, you know, it, it wasn't long ago that you almost thought about the convergence of wireless telecom in particular and transportation as almost adversarial, right? It was like, mm-hmm. we don't want people talking on their phones while they're driving. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a distraction. But today, we're really starting to talk about the two enabling each other. And you mm-hmm. touched on that a little bit. So, so talk about what departments of transportation entities are doing to enable the expansion of telecom and wireless and vice versa. Are there some specific examples you can give us? Well, I mean, we could think of all sorts of, of things that popped in my head, but let's let's go through. I want to talk about really two things. I think there's good two areas. One, we should talk about how do the Department of Transportation who have right away, how can we help expand cellular, you know, let's say cellular services? Um, I think that's one topic, right? You kind of, you briefly said that in your statement. The other is, is, well, how do Department of Transportation's encourage uh, wireless connectivity on the right or, or in their environment? Because we want to be able to have cars communicate. We want to be able to communicate to them uh, during an emergency or an issue. So it's really kind of two topics. One is more of like, how do we give situational awareness and how do we have a two-way communication with the traveling public? The other is, how do we embrace the industry to be able to expand that service so it could be used, right? And so if I was to start with the first one, which is really how do we support wireless community, wireless companies to use the right-of-way so that that connectivity is there? It needs to happen eventually. There's still discussion around connected and autonomous vehicle technology and how it communicates. And so there is going to be a coexistence around it because there's two ways that happens. One through is through radios. Uh, we can either do DSRCs, and I went blank on now the acronym, so now I'm going to screw that up, but I'll come back to it here in a minute. That's more of a radio technology. It, it, that's all it uses. It, it's just an antenna that's that's out there. It's not using cellular connectivity to, to communicate. Uh, CV to X or CV uh, cellular to infrastructure, CV to X is what we call that. That is where you're using cellular technology to communicate to our infrastructure. That is going to be expanding over the next five to 10 years. And, and so when I talk about cellular companies using the right-of-way, I think we need to encourage that, that service to be close to the inter, in, interstates because we're not sure which way that's going to go. There is still two camps of either is it radio through a frequency that's assigned to the transportation uh, safety frequency, or are we going to use cellular technology to communicate to those vehicles? And I'm sure we can do a podcast totally on that subject alone, and, and we'll make sure we have the right people to discuss that in more depth. But that is why we need to coexist with wireless companies, uh, and I'm saying cellular companies. As far as how do we leverage it in other means, or to give you another use case that we use, in, in one of our highways here in the state of Colorado, we have a uh, canyon that's being closed. We have no cellular connectivity out there. We have no wireless connectivity out there. We, we have no fiber optics out there. But what we're doing is we're closing the highway. It's a huge connection between two major cities. And we're closing this highway down for four-hour intervals and only allowing so many vehicles to pass through. What we're doing is we're widening the road in the canyon. And so we do a lot of blasting and so forth. The problem is, is when we have people queuing up in their vehicles sitting at the closure, there's no communication. There's no way to call emergency services, text your family that you're late, you're stuck in the closure. Uh, we experienced this uh, somewhere else in the state where we, what happened is when we closed the uh, canyon, people, they were trying to get through the canyon to get to their kids to pick them up from school or after school activities. 
and they were stuck at the closure for four hours with no communication. Wow. So what we did in at the DOT was to 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 basically we put up a Wi-Fi signal so that we had wireless connectivity so that folks can at least do Snapchat or texting or call over Wi-Fi, you know, using your phone over Wi-Fi. That that was so we had the ability to to at least provide some sort of communications out there. And in in this case, while we did that, we bought some time to engage the larger cellular companies to go ahead and put up towers in the areas. So that that allowed us to still have the public safety perspective of these these road closures, but in the meantime we were we had a close relationship with those companies and they built they're building a tower and there's three of the four major carriers are are placing arrays on that that today. And 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 what what got their attention uh, with those larger carriers was we we drew that the fact that this was a transportation issue that people could not call if there was an accident or if there was some sort of flood event or something that impeded the ability to travel through this area or it impacted freight and delivery of services and goods. And when we started piling all that up, it drew the attention that, hey, you know what, you're right. We do not have coverage here. We do see the traffic flow here. We can give them traffic counts to show how many vehicles going there. I can't tell you how many are using one company over the other, but I at least gave enough uh, of a case to the three of the four carriers. The fourth one is still the jury's out on that one. The fourth one may show up as well. But right now, they're all interested and they're all engaged and they're all trying to solve it. And that's where you start seeing this interesting that's convergence a re- at a different level. I'm sorry, Wayne, go ahead. No, I mean, that's, a, that's a really good point that you bring. So when you guys plan for the future, are, are all the roadways planned with technology in mind? I mean, does every planning session talk about the connectivity, not only for, you know, the consumer, but for the equipment of the state to maintain the road for all of these other factors? Yeah, go ahead. It it does. It does. I mean, so we do put technology in there. I think what it boils back down to is what is the means in communication? How are we going to have the technology? Like, let's just use something simple like a camera. Right, we monitor the road yeah. to make sure there's not any accidents and so forth. In that particular case, we may use fi- our own fiber on the right of way. We may uh, buy a service from a carrier, a line, a wireline type service, or we may put a wireless modem on that camera so that we connect with the uh, the carriers. There's technology. It boils down to the communication part of of how the technology communicates back that gives us that ability. When you when you ask the question around, um, I think we need to, I see our role a little bit different. Like we, we are not here to provide or compete with the private industry around wireless technology. And, and so in, in the case with the Canyon, we provided, we bought a wireline service. We broadcasted free Wi-Fi over the queuing area of cars so that they had connectivity of some sort. Um, we did limit it so that not everyone's sitting there watching Netflix on the side of the road because, it costs us money, but we did limit it to like five megs uh, down, and that was enough to do Snapchat, communicate, Facebook, you know, do your thing, and communicate to the outside world that you're sitting there for three to four hours. But we did not want to rebroadcast any cellular service from a DOT perspective because what we wanted to do is not set an expectation on the behalf of the cellular companies that that service was there in that area. 
it, it's kind of misleading. So we worked really closely with those carriers about that. And they would, we would have a thoughtful conversation around, should they be deploying or should I put a repeater out that repeats their signal, but doesn't leave a impression that that signal is always going to be there. Um, that's something you got to think about when you're in these rural areas. Uh, yes, I solved the problem during the, the road work and the road closure construction phase. But as soon as the road's done and I leave, that repeater is not there. So we really wanted to make sure we were working closer with the industry around permanent solutions that would create a public safety environment for this canyon and these road closures we were having long term, way past after we leave. So you know, you have to have those good conversations around that because, you know, I, I, I didn't think about that until the carrier said, well, we don't want to make everyone think that, you know, carrier A is perfect out here when we don't have a, a an antenna to broadcast. So the transportation side of the world where I work, we just got to be careful. Yes, we're trying to solve a problem, but we need to we need to be collaborative with the industry around that, yeah. that problem. Yeah. So, Bob, you, you said something that, that you know, that's in the news lately is rural broadband, rural, the word rural mm-hmm. and connecting that uh, those other populations that aren't connected. So what's, you know, CDOT's role in connecting rural broadband is, does every road have a, a right of way or how does that work for those folks that are out there in those far reaches that don't have great wireless or great service? Yeah. So the good part in our state statutes here in this state, we we own a big chunk of our own right of way. Uh, not all states have that ability. And what we do is we can leverage our right of way with partnerships in exchange for services. So in other words, if a carrier wanted to come put fiber in, we could uh, barter and swap the, our right of way to encourage broadband providers to go out there. And if they don't, we, we build our own network. We have a 1,700-mile fiber optic network. If I was to splice every fiber together, I have over 135,000 miles of fiber. I have over 8,000 fiber infrastructure. So what we can do is we can lease as a state entity, I could lease the fiber to middle-mile providers uh, who can light the fiber and get services into these rural parts, either it being a, a wireless cellular-type company or an internet provider or a, a, a small teleco that would want to have services can leverage our fiber infrastructure to provide rural broadband service. So one of the biggest barrier of entry is actually getting, you know, the means to get that broadband out there, which is the fiber part. Wireless or cellular companies are very good at solving some of that too. You know, what you've been seeing now is, you know, some of the larger carriers are, are have some awesome bandwidth coming out. They need fiber to their towers to get to that, that, that broadband speeds of 25 megs down, three up. And, and really, they feel more comfortable if fiber is at their tower, right? Now, it doesn't mean that they can't ad hoc their towers together and use microwave to do some of that, that solutioning. But we, we as CDOT, we help provide right-of-way abilities to place the towers, as well as uh, fiber if they need fiber, and or we, we encourage uh, you know, other, other internet providers to get into these rural areas. Removing the barrier of entry, like I said earlier, is just building the fiber. The fact that we can do it, and we're not a profit enterprise organization, we are a we're here to solve a problem, which is transportation. We're going to focus on, uh, first and foremost, putting the fiber in the ground to solve a transportation problem. But all the extra fiber I have is available to, to solve, you know, rural broadband issues. So we work with counties, we work with cities, we work with small internet providers and, and all sorts of folks. 
You know, something you, you said as well, Bob, that kind of kind of touched on something that's a, a big issue for me or not issue, but a, a topic for me is, you know, we're, we're looking at prospectively the federal government passing a multi-trillion dollar infrastructure bill here at some point. Yeah. And, you know, that is being presented as a very compartmentalized project, right? There's a certain amount carved out for highways. There's a certain amount carved out for bridges. There's a certain amount carved out for for plumbing, for, you know, the, the public utilities and water and sewer. And there's a certain amount carved out for broadband, whether that be wired or wireless. What I've always wanted to see happen is better cohesion where we're doing dig once projects, right? Mm -hmm. If we're building a new road and we're putting in some new sewer and we also need to put in fiber for broadband, how can we get those projects to converge and be really one cohesive project so that, hey, if we're building a new bridge, let's make sure there's multiple, you know, four inch conduits going across that bridge for who knows what might need to be pulled in the mm -hmm. future, for example. Like, is that a realistic take on on what the future might be looking like? And if not, why not? Yeah, th that's a great question, Dan. I mean, I have so many opinions and I will distinguish myself as a role as CDOT versus my personal opinion as even my elected role. Man, there's so much depth to that question. So I could tell you one of the biggest issues between industry and let's just say government and in, in this particular topic is I think it's like, what's the role of government and what's the role of the private industry. And I think that that until you can come to a, an agreement of what that is, it's going to be adversarial, I think between the industry and the government. What, what I hope to promote here at CDOT is the ability to work together to solve a common issue and and find the win-win-win. And when I say three wins, I'm talking a win for the industry company, a win for the state agency, and a win for the, the public, which is also the consumer to that same company. And that's the taxpayer. There's a way to get there. And there's been many opportunities where we have done that. It's just getting the right mentality at the table to have that good, thoughtful conversation to make that a reality. And when we take down the barriers of that conversation and we just say, look, what is what are our desired outcomes and how do we come together and break bread and get this, the same outcome we all want? You know, Dan, you and I have been on some of that discussion and, and I and and we've solved it, I think, with uh, the tunnel. We we did a DAS system and we had a need, you had a need, you solved, you filled the gap on both, which was closing the idea that we had no communication in a very long tunnel. Cellular phones didn't work, radios didn't work, public safety radios didn't work. That was a public-private partnership where you came in and you worked with a, a team that uh, was able to help us with our public safety radios that our police and fire can can use their radios in, in a disaster situation. Meanwhile, it also solved the ability to uh, allow folks to use their cell phones if they need to or their vehicles in the future to use the communication safely through a tunnel. Or if there was an accident in there, can they call 911? Yes, we're watching it. But but those are the where you have to come together on a common a common goal um, and not, not worry about it too much. Now here's where it gets a little sticky. And this is where I'll, I'll maybe even contradict myself a little bit. We have limited transportation dollars. So if you were just in your example where you say, well, look, you're building a big bridge. Why don't you put in the conduits and proactively do that? And kind of like a dig once kind of policy with limited transportation dollars, it could look be viewed as wasteful spending by putting all those conduits into the ground 
for somebody that may or may not use it. And even if we did put it in there to promote a certain, you know, rural broadband or whatever we may encourage by putting these massive conduits into the roadway to get ahead of it, which I don't disagree with. I'll come back to that personal opinion about it. The issue then becomes is, well, boy, the, the, the state put in, you know, millions of dollars with the conduits. And then the industry comes in and says, well, I just want to use it for free. You put them in there. Taxpayer dollar did it. I just want to use it. Well, th- that's where the adversarially part comes in because that's not that's not good, true. That's not the true partnership I would be looking for. You know, you should help either compensate either sw- by sw- swapping or bartering or solving a communication problem or truly showing a, a, a performance outcome that says I solved a problem, rural broadband. Mm-hmm. I provided 5,000 homes with 25 megs down and three megs up, or it should be now 100 meg asymmetrical in my opinion, but you know, that's been the new talk is the hundred meg stuff. If you, if the state can come to you and say, you know, it's willing, we're willing to spend transportation dollars to create this new way of, of, of allowing people to pull fiber through, that would be an option. But this is what I'd riddle back. I would say as the state built highways for carrier services to deliver their products, UPS, FedEx, DHL, any of them to deliver, they pay a license plate tax to use the roads to get to your house or to your business. Why doesn't the state just build fiber optic highway systems, not lit, because if you light it, that's a product, but provide a means to deliver the product and allow the end user, who it could be an ISP, a wireless company, anybody, to go in and, and light it for a small fee and provide their, their services. And what this solves is, one, it's a dig one. Two, the state still owns the asset of infrastructure. If you think about what a DOT does, it's infrastructure. That's what that is. We're not trying to compete against the uh, industry. What we're doing is removing a barrier of entry to solve rural broadband. And then and then the best form of regulation is just not more laws and government. The best form of regulation is is competition. And so if you now created the means in which competitors can be all there, you reduce the, the, the affordability of, of broadband services across the board. And you may even increase the availability of it because now everyone's competing for, well, I want to have high available internet access at a lower rate. That's a good thing to have. And, right. and right now with the economic engines we need, broadband is probably the largest economic engine for any community to survive even during a pandemic. We're seeing a huge growth. The DOT is proof of this. We've seen uh, larger traffic issues happening in rural parts of the state now because if a small town has the ability to have either wireless or wireline broadband services, now everyone's working remote. The person who makes a $100,000, $200,000 annual salary or family that brings in a quarter million dollar uh, household income is now an economic engine to the small diner, the, the the mom and pop shop, the local mechanic. And now we, I am getting phone calls all over about accessing our fiber because now these towns are exploding and they can't keep up with the broadband. Mm-hmm. Small towns of uh, Trinidad, Colorado, or Fort Morgan, Colorado, are 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 begging for the ability to get a hold of some fiber or communication because they're exploding. Uh, you know, these are small. These were dying on the vine communities that are now flourishing because of the remote, the ability to work remotely. 
So I know I went all over on there, but that was, that was my, No, it's, it's good. And and it, it actually begs like, like what if the federal government incentivized public private partnership or multiple public, Mm -hmm. uh, agency partnership, for example. So you remember after 2008, the recovery funds that were put out, it was mm-hmm. all shovel ready, got first priority, right? Mm-hmm. If you had a project that was shovel ready, it was going to get money. Well, what if the federal government said, hey, public, private, if you guys partner, we're going to take funds that were set aside for transportation, funds that were set aside for broadband, funds that were set aside for bridges. And if you can come proactively and show that you've got a partnership proposal, those are going to get higher priority, higher access to those funds. I just, I don't know, maybe it's a dream that is not realizable, but I, I just feel like that's the right way to do it. But I, but I think it's happening because there are some grants out there that even with CDOT, if we get certain uh, technology grants, if there's a partner mixed in, either public or private, so if it's like the right. state of championing with a city or a county or a private, we get higher scoring if we do that. What we need to do is continue to encourage uh, the other divisions of federal funding that comes in to do the reverse of that. So private right. industry, if you get federal funds, you need to partner with lo- public public side as well. You need to do a P3, a public-private partnership. You know, what we're finding is uh, the industry will more than happy take the grant money, but they don't look to uh, the public partners on how, to, how can you pull together. Because here's a good example that I could see happening. If somebody approached me and said, well, look, and I, I'm going to say I'm a city. Just say I'm a city. In our laws here, the cities don't have as much um, flexibility as the state does on state right away. But let's just use a, a city uh, example. If if a company came to me and said, hey, I can get this federal funding. I can get, you know, let's just use simple math, $10. And the city needs uh, to connect its services or do technology on their signal system or their you know traffic signals or cameras. And they're like, well, hey why don't we partner? You can win that grant. And what we will do is we'll, we will pitch in, you know, the 20% match to that grant, you know, but you do all the work, you do everything you want. That's a win-win because now the city gets something at 20%. They get their product at Then they don't have to do the match money. And so I'm just assuming the match money is 20%. Mm-hmm. So the city gets it for $2, which might've cost them $10. The, the person who went for the grant got bonus points for partnering with the public side they end up getting the grant money. So their costs are covered. Their match is, is done by the private side. That's just a good example of a win, win, win. And the problem is, is I think like some of these grants, when they come in, when they're, when they're focused on the private industry, I don't know if they encourage enough of the private or the public partnership. They only look at the private, private side, you know, not the private mm-hmm. public side. Mm-hmm. Now, when the public side gets grant money, they always tell us we need to, if you want to score higher, you got to find a private partner sometimes. And so, you know, it, it needs to be a two-way street to be very organic and flourishing in the subject. So that's just yeah. my thought around it. Yeah. So I have a subject. Uh, we're in, in Colorado and we're talking about technology and then transportation. And so I think a lot of listeners here um, to the podcast who, who live here or come to the state to enjoy the mountains in the winter, you know, is there exciting or new technology solutions that you guys are looking at to help the traffic flow in the peak mm-hmm. seasons, you know, in the winter going to the mountains and coming home? I mean, do you have anything to share exciting technology wise that you guys are working towards to help improve that? 
Yeah, actually, we have quite a few things, but I, I will tell you, like, uh, more immediately, uh, we are looking at a new app that's going to come out in early fall that will connect all our technology to people's cell phones. Because here in Colorado, we've been known as a good source of truth, especially for the tr uh, skiing public. Uh, they like to take our weather forecasts, which are pretty solid, and they, they like to use that to get plan their ski trip. So we are we are bridging and putting real time information into an app, weather, cameras, road conditions, everything in an app, as well as a uh, text to voice uh, technology, so that we don't get too much distracted driving. But the idea is is how to get people up into the mountains to the ski resorts and 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 all of our fabulous mountain uh, resorts in a, a efficient way. Google, we're also connecting with Google and Apple and other like here. Uh, to share our real-time data with those apps as well to make sure that everyone knows that if we close an interstate or a highway that they know real-time and can divert so people are not frustrated sitting there. So that's something we are, we're, we're getting really close to in the next 90 days uh, to be launching. And then the other kind of technology that's a little bit further out, but I, I like to share it, is we're trying to get to the point where we will be able to detect avalanches. We have, a, we have about 2,700 avalanches that fall within the, the Department of Transportation's responsibility in some form or another. And, and we would like to get to a point where we can detect an avalanche, um, be able, we have 40 seconds to respond to that avalanche, whereas we lower speed limits on variable speed limit signs. We put up on a big message board, you know, avalanche ahead, um, please slow your speeds. We want to protect the traveling public so that we don't have any, any bad you know, events or any loss of life, but also to make sure that we can clear and keep traffic and travel times at a, at a decent rate. Um, that's technology where we have to mix LIDAR, edge computing, machine learning, a little artificial intelligence, all has to come together to be automated so it can detect, understand, react, and, 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 and create an action. And, and that's something we are on the verge of, you know, it's, it, the technology is there. It's kind of like cooking up a, a pie or cake. I have the ingredients. I just haven't mixed them all together just yet. I'm waiting to pull the oil together that, that glues this stuff together or the egg in the mix to bring this all together. And, and really what it is, it's making sure you have communications. You have, to have, you have to have reliable communications because if somebody starts relying on that avalanche situation and it doesn't work, that's a different problem, right? So you got to have reliable communications and redundancy and resiliency along that. And, and you have to have the ability to become the source of truth and a reliable partner to our to our traveling public. So, yeah, th those are kind of the two big things that are probably the near term and probably the next 18 months is my hope. Wow. And, and we haven't touched on at all autonomous vehicles at no. all in this conversation, which will be a future episode. Hopefully, maybe yeah. we can get your autonomous vehicle expert to uh to join us and talk about that. Cause that clearly could be a whole nother hour if mm -hmm. we wanted on, on just that topic alone. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Because in that case, instead of us putting on a big message board, it would actually go to the car and the vehicle would know everything. And, and I'll just tease it a little bit. We almost call it sign graffiti. You know, when you're on an interstate, you got all these signs telling you exit here, so many miles here, blink, 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 this slow down, you know, chain ups, uh, you, it, it becomes graffiti. The, the one thing I will tell you connected autonomous vehicles will do in the long run is the idea is that technology and those static signs and all that will go away. All that, all that sign graffiti on the side of the road, eventually 
eventually will go away. The idea is that it all communicates into the car. It communicates to the car. It, it displays it in the car. We will no longer need street signs. We shouldn't even need stoplights, to be honest with you. Or the, or wow. the state patrol giving out speeding tickets. It won't happen. Yeah. Right. It, it, it can, unless, unless there's some huge resistance that somebody still wants their, you know, 69 Camaro gas driven, you know, Florida down the highway. <laughs> that would probably screw up the whole autonomous <laughs> network. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, uh, uh, I'll, I'll pressure Ashley to be here. She's a great speaker. She knows her tech, her background is awesome in this world. And uh, I won't, I won't steal her thunder because I think, like I said earlier, you can have a whole episode just on connected Thomas vehicle technology. Wow. Well, I mean, you know, thanks for joining us and sharing your wisdom, Bob. Uh, it's really exciting to hear you and you bring excitement out between more transportation and telecommunications, whether wireless and wireless, how it comes together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a big enabler in how transportation is going to be done in the future. Yeah. Thanks, Bob. Uh, thanks to everyone for joining and listening again. We'll wrap it up for today. Please remember to subscribe or follow the show. Go to 5gguys.com to engage more with what we've got going on. Uh, we love hearing from the audience, hearing what, what you think we got wrong, what questions you have, what topics you'd like to see us tackle in the future. So thanks for joining again. Take, where, take care and uh, be well. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the 5G Guys. For more resources and to connect with Dan and Wayne, check out their website at 5gguys.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that follow button and share this episode with your friends and family.